Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. building margins, how we build margins, room in our life for God. What are the priorities? What are the things we need to do? What are the things we need to let go of so that we make sure that we have room for God in our life? It's got to be more than just Sunday morning. He's got to be every part of our life. And the first thing we talked about is we got to make room to hear God's voice, to listen to God. What is God trying to say? What does God want us to do? How is he leading us? How is he directing us? And so making room to listen to God, to hear God. And then last week we talked about making room to grow in community. We gotta make room for our church and the family of God and the body of Christ because we help each other grow. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we're talking about sharpening our spiritual weaponry, growing in Christ Jesus, uh, getting involved in community so we can help each other grow. And you need to make room for that. Create room for that. Make, be intentional about being involved in groups and in church and in church life together. And today we're gonna talk about making room to go. God's called us all to go. He's got a mission for every single one of us. You know, the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many believe that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, if we really believe that, then Jesus Christ is the only answer. There's no other way. Islam is not the way. You saw the video clip there. Islam is not the way. There's not many ways that lead to Jesus Christ. There is only one way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It is non-negotiable. And so if Jesus Christ is the only way, we've got to be very intentional about getting that message out or men and women are going to be lost. They'll be lost without the Lord. So we've got to make room to go. Whether we're going trying to reach people in the Middle East, as you saw the video clip, or Corey Johnson, by the way, is one of our own. He is a missionary with Live Dead right now. And so whether supporting Corey Johnson on the mission field and helping him to go, or whether it's going to the Boeing plant every day or a Bosch or wherever you work at daily and you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, or whether it's going next door to your next door neighbor, the bottom line is we've all got to make room in our life to go. They need to find a way to get to God. I am the way. They need to find that way. And if we don't make margin and room to go, not only will we remain spiritually weak, but our friends and family may never come to know Jesus Christ. And that's what our mission is really all about. If lost people matter to God, they need to matter to us. That is our mission. And the mission of God has never, ever changed. I want to read a quotation to you from Keith Hunter. They interviewed 15,000 Evangelical Christians, listen to this. Our research shows that most Christians do not have a clue what the mission of the church is. 
we have discovered that up to 80% of church members believe that the primary purpose of the church is to provide a place for fellowship where Christians can share God's love with one another and reach out to, uh, and then rather than reach out to those who are unchurched. 80% said the church is about us. It's about our fellowship. It's about our community. It's about hanging out together. It's about what can the church do for me? How can the church meet my needs? How can the church minister to my family? It is about us, 80%. And yet the reverse should actually be in our minds, in our hearts. God has called us to reach out literally all around the world. Our mission is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, not just to come on Sunday morning and feel good. So there's a whole community out there that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, 83% will stay home from church. 17% will get up and come. 250 million people are unchurched in America today. 70% will attend weekly. 23% will attend once or twice a month. And worldwide, there are three billion people who have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to propose to you we've lost sight of our mission. Our mission is always to go. And we've got to be intentional about going, intentional about reaching the unchurched, intentional about reaching the next generation. We've got to be intentional in what we do. We've got to make room for that. Community is important, but it exists for fulfilling the Great Commission. We come together, we meet, we share, we're strengthened, and then we go out and do what God has called us to do. So turn to, let's stand together as we read Matthew 28, and we'll start with verse number 18. Very familiar passage of scripture, but we need to be reminded this morning. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let us pray. Father, we need you. Stir our hearts again, I pray, for that which is the very most important thing in our life, to fulfill the calling you've called every single person to. Help us, I pray, to go. We love you, God. Open up our hearts and our minds, our spirits today, we pray, to receive your word. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, it, it's great to come to, I love, I look forward to Sunday, look forward to coming to church, uh, to sit in the presence of the Lord. Wasn't it beautiful this morning? What a wonderful spirit of praise and worship and adoration and, and just to come and enjoy that. And then to, then to hear the word of God being preached, to listen to the meat of the word and we grow by hearing the word of God and it helps us in our Christian life and our Christian walk. But our actions often say, I don't care about the rest of the world. I want to come and I want to do my thing and I want to enjoy the services. But what are we doing with the Great Commission? That's our assignment. That's what God has called us to. The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's an imperative command. It's not an option. It's not if you feel like it, if you have time for it, if you want to, if you don't want to. He tells his disciples, go. It's an imperative command that 
for every single child of God, not just for the select few, not just for the super saints, it's for every member of the body of Christ. And then he says, go to all nations, and that includes our next door neighbor, and it includes those over in China and in Africa as well. It includes all those right around us today. So the question this morning is, how do we make room to fulfill this great commission? I want to give you three things this morning. First of all, you've got to make room to serve. Make room to serve. God's called us to serve one another. Going is healthy for our own souls. Now, one of the things that happens is when you begin to go and get involved in evangelism and get involved in making disciples, you will also yourself grow spiritually. It is healthy for your own soul. There's a whole physical fitness craze in America today. Everybody wants to stay healthy. And so we've got now watches or Fitbits that tell you how many steps you've walked. Isn't it kind of annoying to be around with somebody with their Fitbit and you're with them during the day and say, oh, I got 345 steps in today. And you're going, what are you, what are you talking about? You know? and, and, and everybody's into this whole fitness craze because we want to walk and we want to stay physically healthy. The problem is if we're not going, if we're not exercising, if we're not moving about, obesity can come, diabetes can come, High blood pressure can come. Heart disease can occur. So for good physical health, we know that we've got to stay active. We know we've got to stay on the move. We know we have got to keep moving and we've got to keep going. And so we work out or we walk or we run or we kayak or we do something physical, right? Because we've got to keep going. We've got to keep our bodies healthy. If our souls are going to be healthy, in the same vein, we can't just sit around in our pews on Sunday morning. We've got to go. We've got to keep moving. And when we keep moving in the kingdom of God, when we are serving others and ministering to others, we ourselves are being spiritually fit. We grow in Christ Jesus as we begin to go. Just as we don't come to church and go home, just as we don't wear a Christian label and say, I'm a believer, but I do nothing about the kingdom of God, the Great Commission tells us to go. Otherwise, we become spiritually lazy. And if we become spiritually lazy, you will get what I call as spiritual heart disease. And your heart becomes hard, it becomes calloused, and you become religious. You become a Pharisee. You become someone who goes and is an external believer only to be seen by men, but you're not doing anything in the kingdom of God, and so you become spiritually hard. Ephesians 2, verse number 10. Look at it, if you would, for just a moment. He talks about why he saved us, and sometimes we miss this. Ephesians 2, look if you would, verse number 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, why were we saved? To do good works. We're created in Christ Jesus, not just to say, look at me, I'm saved. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has a plan for every single child of God that we be actively engaged in ministry, actively engaged in serving, actively engaged in doing good works. 
He said, God has prepared that plan for every single child of God before the creation of the world. You were created in him to do good works. That's why where our purpose is. It's God's plan for us. We exist not to live for ourselves, but for others. We live for the glory of God, which includes serving him by serving others. And when we serve, we're exercising the gifts that God has placed within us. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that God has given everybody gifts, several as he will. And so what happens is when we are engaged in using our gifts, when we are engaged in serving, we are doing the work for which God saved us. He's given us spiritual gifts to use. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse number 10. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with all the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, you're created to serve. Do it. Just do it. Mm. There are many ways we serve and We can talk about serving. We serve inside the church. There's all kind of ministries you can get plugged in, in, you can get involved in, but not just limited to inside these four walls, but we serve when we go out into the world every single day and we minister to someone at work and we minister to someone in the neighborhood and we minister to someone in need and we visit them and we care for them and we help them and we share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are given by God so that we might effectively serve the body of Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I just want to do a little teaching on spiritual gifts today. It may or, not, may, may or may not be on your screen, but if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6. This is also why, excuse me, let me read uh, verse chapter 12. Verse number 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is comforting to the needs of others, let let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, I, I, uh, do you even know what your spiritual gift is? How many here today, you know, we're, we won't have a show of hands necessarily, but how many really actually know what your spiritual gift and calling is? What has God gifted you with? What is your place in the body of Christ? What does God want you to be doing? Some of us have never really thought that through. And yet the Bible says God's giving gifts to everybody in the body of Christ. I, uh, when I go out to eat, I, I can't go to a restaurant without spilling food on myself, on my shirt, 
my pants, whatever it may be. So, but I want to give you an illustration to kind of show you how these spiritual giftings might work. And I want to pick on my wife and use Jeannie as the example today. So, so let's just say she's just been at sisterhood on, on Tuesday morning and the ladies are going out to eat and there's eight ladies and they've all gone out to eat and they're at McAllister's and they're eating uh, and, and Jeannie has ordered the soup of the day and she likes tomato bisque and so she orders the tomato bisque and she's eating the soup and it's and she drops it and it spills all over her blouse all over her pants and she's embarrassed and she's turning red and she feels terrible and because she's got this tomato soup all over her and uh, so friend number one takes charge and says, you know what, we're gonna organize a cleanup crew and I want you to do this and I want you to go here and I want you to do this. She might have the gift of leadership, right? Okay, she's getting it all ready. Friend number two says, Jeannie, in fact, don't worry about it. I'll buy you another bowl of soup. In fact, it's on me. I'll buy soup for everybody around the table. She probably has the gift of giving and some people have that gift. I'll just buy soup for everybody. They have that liberality and giving. Friend number three says, you know, I saw that coming. <laughs> I, I, just, I just knew that was going to happen. She might have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> and uh, the gift of prophecy is that uh, prophets aren't typically sensitive people. They're not kind, sensitive people. They're prophetic, you know. I, I knew you'd do that. Friend number four burst into tears and begins to cry and reaches over and hugs Jeannie. Says it'll be all right. It's just a cup of soup. She probably has the gift of mercy. And the Bible writes about the gift of mercy and she's crying. Friend number five laughs and dumps her own bowl down on her blouse. (laughs) And everybody starts laughing around the table because it's so funny. And she has the gift of encouragement. She's gonna encourage. And so she's gonna identify and encourage along the way. Friend number six says, you know what? Everybody listen to me for just a moment. I'm gonna show you the proper way to hold a bowl of soup and to eat that soup. And just watch me so this doesn't happen again. She probably has the gift of teaching and wants to teach everybody around the table. And friend number seven has already cleaned up the mess without ever being asked. Probably has the gift of service or serving. Now, Now those are just seven gifts that I just read to you earlier in the book of Romans. There are also listed some gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. There are other gifts listed in Ephesians chapter four. There are different listings of gifts of the spirit and you can read it all about the, but, but it's very important that you know where your place in ministry is, where your spiritual gift is, and then follow through and serve and act out and live on that gift. He says, I've given gifts to the body of Christ so that we can all be edified, so we can all grow, and so we can effectively reach our world gifts that he's given us to use and be a part of. Uh, We need all gifts operating at faith assembly of God. Uh, Who is it you can help? Maybe somebody that you know of that needs some work done at their house. Maybe you're good with your hands and you're good with plumbing or electrical or whatever. You can help somebody else do a project around their house. Maybe there's somebody you know is fighting loneliness or depression or isolation. You can invite them over to dinner. You can take them out. You can spend time with them. You can encourage them. You can lift them up. Uh, What talent has God given you to bless others? Maybe you can sing like these guys on the platform or play an instrument or you can be involved in some form of ministry. 
glory and, and, and worshiping and praising the Lord. Maybe you have a heart for youth or a heart for children or a heart for the elderly. There are places for you to serve God in ministry. Don't just sit at home every night doing nothing, going through the same old, same old. You were saved for more than that. You were saved to go. Make room, make room. Second, make room to give. Turn to 1st, 2nd Corinthians chapter 9. We're talking about fulfilling the Great Commission. In 2nd Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about the, this ministry of giving and how they were taking offerings for the churches in Macedonia. And uh, it says in, in verse number 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap, everybody say generously, will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We give cheerfully so we can abound in every good work. Now, the reason we give, the reason we come and we received offerings today, we received a missionary offering this morning, our tithes, is so we can reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can be equipped to facilitate what Matthew 28 told us to do. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That is why we give, so that the mission can be fulfilled. We give. It's all about making disciples. I wanted to just share a couple thoughts with you on giving for a moment, if, if you'd let me. Uh, first thought is this. Give yourself first to the Lord. Give yourself first to the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5 in the same kind of context here. He says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Listen, when you give everything to God, giving to others becomes very easy. Giving to kingdom work becomes easy. When God has your heart, he automatically gets your pocketbook. It kind of all comes together in the package do, deal. In fact, the Bible says for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so when God has you, giving is not a problem. We don't sweat it. We don't get nervous. We don't, oh, can I, you know, can I give today? It's not a big deal because God already has your heart. And so he tells the Corinthians, he says, you know what, I'm commending you because you first gave your heart to the Lord and then you gave to us also. It became very, very easy to give. So first, does God have all of you? And then number two, I think that the lesson that comes through here is be generous. Be generous. Learn, learn to be generous. If you want to grow spiritually, you begin to be generous with what God has blessed you with and you will grow exponentially. So make room to give. Create margin in your life to do that. Let me go back to our text and let me start with verse five this time. It says there, I thought it necessary to urge brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not grudgingly given. Twice he uses that word. And then in verse six again, remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, People say, Pastor, how much do I give? How, how do I do that? How does that all work? Well, I think a good baseline is 10%. I think it's just a great starting point. That 10% of my income, 10% of my finances, the, the Bible calls that the tithe. So when I talk about 
tithes and offering. I'm talking about that first 10% belonging to God. But a generous giver never feels like he has to give. It comes out of an overflow of the abundance of God's grace. And so he says it's not as much about the percentage. It is if you sow generously, you will reap generously. It's about the privilege of giving. He says you don't give under compulsion or because you have to or because of the law, but we give generously because I have a heart that is after God and I want to see his work advance. We look for opportunities to bless others and the kingdom of God. And he says the bottom line is you can never, ever outgive God. He says when you give generously, God just gives it back to you again and again and again in abundance and joy and blessing and favor. And God is so good to always do that. And he kind of knows, I think he knows who his people are, who he can trust with his resources, because when they begin to give and trust God with their giving, those people are just blessed over and over again, and they keep giving back into the kingdom of God again and again and again. And God's work advances. You can never outgive God. It always comes back. He keeps blessing so the kingdom work then can be advanced. It's about where is your heart? You know, Jesus goes into the temple and he sees them bringing their offerings into the temple and he sees one lady and the Bible says she gave two mites. And, and he makes a statement at the end of that, that with the disciples. He's gonna use this as a teaching moment. He says she gave more than everybody else. Now there were all kinds of gifts pouring into the temple and uh, hers was, might have been maybe the very smallest gift that was brought that day. But he looked beyond the outward expression into what her heart was. And she gave out of her heart and she gave sacrificially. And mathematically it didn't make sense, but he saw beyond the math. At faith we give not just to keep the lights on, but so we continue to minister to hurting people, reach out to families in need, minister in our schools, send missionaries around the world and do the work that God has called us to do. So those in darkness can find the light. We give because we believe reaching every person who walks through these doors that there's hope in Jesus Christ and there's healing in Jesus Christ and God has love to offer and so we give so we can do the work he's called us to do. And giving is healthy for your souls and you grow by doing it and so when I begin to trust God and I step out in faith and I say, you know what, it may not add up mathematically but I'm gonna give anyway and I put my faith in God. My faith is strengthened and I see God work and operate in my my life and I trust him with my finances. I partner with God in everything we do. So I want to challenge you, create margin or room in your life to give. You say, how do you do that? Well, I would encourage you to work towards debt-free living. When you become debt-free, it frees up your resources so you can sow it back into kingdom work. And so many of us get so bound by debt, credit card debt, car debt, house debt, mortgage, we, we just get bound up by debt that we feel like we can't give. And so how do I make room? How do I make margin to give to the work of God so it may continue? I, I work towards debt-free living. If you have not had Financial Peace University, the next semester it is offered, you need to sign up for that. It will revolutionize how you handle your finances. Uh, you might make room for giving by sacrificing some other things you don't need. So much we buy is to feed our own flesh or for our own selves or what I want in life. And so I may cut back on some of those things so I can do more to advance the kingdom of God with my giving and watch God bless it and multiply because souls are more important than another shirt in my closet. Just a thought.
make room to give. And even though you may sacrifice some things to create margin to give, the bountiful reaping of the harvest makes it worth it all because there's joy in the harvest. Number three, in fulfilling the Great Commission, you've got to make room to share. Make room to share. Now, first of all, let me say evangelism is birthed out of relationship with God. The closer you get to God, the more you want to share about who God is and what he's done for you and what he means in your life. So, so like everything else, when we're listening to God, when we're doing our 777, when we're praying seven uh, minutes a day, and when we're reading God's word seven minutes, and when we're meditating on the goodness of the Lord seven minutes, and I'm doing that every day, I begin to get his heartbeat. And God's heart beats for souls. Everything about God is reaching everybody with the message of Jesus Christ. And so the closer I get to him, the more I want to do his work and I want to go and share. Now turn to Romans 10. (coughs) Excuse me. Romans 10 and verse number 13. (coughs) This is a great passage again. It's all about how we do it and how important it is to share the good news. Romans 10, verse number 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great news? Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How are your feet today? You got beautiful feet? I don't, don't take your shoes and socks off. We don't want, check it out. But how beautiful are the feet? And, and so there, there's some words there. How can they hear unless someone tells them? There is something implied about evangelism right there. It implies that someone needs to share or open up their mouth and tell them the good news. That's implied. How can they hear? Uh, some people think, you know, pastor, I don't really have to say anything. Just live the life of Jesus. Just be the example. And one day when they're in a mess, they'll come running to me because they've seen the light of Jesus Christ in my life and they'll see what a good believer I am and how much I love Jesus. And they will come to me and ask me what makes me different. I want to tell you that's only half true. Yes, we need to live the life in front of people. Yes, we need to be an example and watch our speech and our conduct and our action lest we create a stumbling block to someone along the way. But we are foolish to think that they are going to come running to us because we seem so good or I smile every day or I have a joy of the Lord in my heart that everybody's going to come asking us why we are different. Listen, there's a lot of people out there with smiles on their faith who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of nice people out there who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to live the life. Yes, we need to be the example. But we have to initiate spiritual conversations. Some of you just got terrified when I said that. Just fear just kind of. We need to initiate spiritual conversations. We need to make room in our life to share. Not just enough to live a good life and hope they come wanting to know what's going on with us. We need to be able to articulate the message of salvation in ways that it will be understood by the unchurched. Revelation chapter 12 says they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
the word of their story. The power, there is power in your story. Jesus changed your life. You were lost in sin. Uh, you were miserable. You were headed to hell. And Christ came in and changed you and gave you everlasting life. Everybody in the house who knows Jesus has a testimony. There's power in your testimony. You are living proof of the power of God's grace. You are the greatest witness, the greatest testimony, because Christ has changed you. He can change anybody else. You've got a testimony today. There's an epic movie, Gone with the Wind. And there's a scene in it that's, that's, that's hilarious. And it's, it's set against the backdrop of the Civil War, and Atlanta's on fire, and the war's going on, and the plantations are taking place in the South, and it's this uh, great sweeping panoramic movie. And Melanie, one of the key characters in the movie, goes into labor, and her maid's name is Prissy. Prissy is her servant, and she is thrust into the role of being a midwife. Everybody's gone. The soldiers are gone to war. There's no doctors around. There's nobody around. And so she has to become an immediate midwife to Melanie. And she makes this statement. We gots to get a doctor. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Now that's the way many in the church feel today. I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. And so we are seeing those spiritual births occur because we feel inadequate, we're afraid, we don't know what to say, we don't have the right language, the right terminology, and we don't know nothing about birthing no babies. Giving birth is a dangerous proposition. It can be dangerous for the mother, it can be dangerous for the child. And labor, you women know how painful that can be in the birthing process. But what happens when new life comes forth? The Bible said the pain is always followed by great joy in delivery. And, and it, 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 it's, it may not be convenient and it may seem uncomfortable and it may seem to be a challenge to you, but I want to encourage you to begin to pray and intercede now for souls. Start praying Pray for your neighbors, pray for your family, pray for your friends, pray for people that are lost, begin to travail for souls, uh, be like the one in the Old Testament said, give me children or else I'll die. Uh, Rebecca cried out, give me children or else I'll die. She was barren, there were no children coming forth, and she prayed and believed and sought God. And so you begin to travail in prayer, you begin to pray for those who need Jesus Christ around you, you ask God for those open doors, those open opportunities, and then be ready to share and bring forth forth that spiritual birth and what a joy when you see men and women come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news is you're not alone because when he gave the great commission notice he says go into the world make all disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of Father Son and the Holy Spirit and then he makes this statement at the end he says and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age he says as you go out on this assignment as you go out on my mission I'm with you I'll help you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll I'll, I'll give you the opportunity. I'll lead you. I'll guide you through the whole process. Because Christ is with us, I can do all things. Lo, I am with you always. We go in the power and might of the Lord. Therefore, we have no reason to fear. So my question today is how do you build margin to make room to share? You've got to be intentional about sharing your story of God's grace. We've got to go. We can't just assume because we have a church here, we put something on the sign, they're going to come flocking in. They will never, ever come. Someone's got to invite them. You've got to tell them. You've got to be ready to share your story with those you come in contact with. 
I want to close with a story. I want you to turn to 1 Kings, 2 Kings, excuse me, chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. King Hezekiah in the Old Testament was uh, uh, dying. He was on his deathbed. And he, and, he, and he lays on the bed, the Bible says, with his face to the wall. And he cries out and he says, God, give me more time. Give me more time. My job on this earth is not done. And he prayed and he says, God, give me 15 more years. And God answered his prayer and he got 15 more years. Now Hezekiah was a great king. He was a great leader. He was one of the, one of the few godly kings in Judah. And God gave those years. But, but during the 15 year span when God expanded his life, he made a very tragic mistake in judgment. He had emissaries come from the region of Babylon. And he showed those who came from Babylon to come visit King Hezekiah. The Bible says he showed them all the gold, all the silver, his entire armory, all the oil, everything that he had in his storehouses, he shows to these guys who have come from afar. He's showing off. He says, look how great our kingdom is. Look at all the stuff we have. Look at everything in my palace, in my kingdom. Look at all the stuff. Now, here's the problem. The people he was showing it to would become his future enemies. These are the Babylonians. In 15 years or, or before, after he would die, they would come and would invade the land of Judah and take them into captivity and enslave their people and, and, and uh, take all they had and all that gold and all that silver and all that stuff he was showing off. They would come and take all that out of the palace. And so by him doing that, he is opening up the door to, hey, come, look what we got here. Come and rob and come and steal from me and Come and take me into captivity. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him and says, because of that, the next generation is going to be led into captivity. The generation following you is going to be servants and slaves in the land of Babylon. Now I want you to notice the verse, and I told you the story. I didn't read all these verses, but look at verse number 19. He says there, the word the Lord you have spoken to me is good. Can you imagine that? The word's good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Hmm. Hezekiah's response is like millions of believers in America today. Just as long as my family's saved, just as long as my kids are saved, just as long as I'm going to make it to heaven, just as long as I have peace and safety and security and everything's fine with me, I don't care really about anybody else, and I really don't care about the next generation. And what happens is when, when the church has that kind of mindset that it's just about me and making me feel comfortable and doing church the same way we've always done and keeping the same status quo and reaching my demographic, what we are really saying is I really don't care about the next generation. When the church has that mindset, every succeeding generation moves further and further away from God. We have got to be very intentional about reaching the next generation for the kingdom of God. It's not about us. I'm already saved. I already know Jesus. It's not about me. It's about the next generation. What am I doing to reach them? Hezekiah says, like many in the church today, many seniors in the church day, I, I'm safe and I'm fine and I'm going to die and I'm going to heaven and it's going to be okay. 
And Isaiah said to him, it's not about you. It's about the next generation. And because of your sinfulness, they are all going to be led into captivity. We've Now, contrast Hezekiah's attitude with the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life. He died on the cross, not just to save his inner circle of friends, but he's moved with compassion for the multitudes. He cared about the multitudes. He cared about all peoples, uh, and he gave his life for for the early church and every succeeding generation. His whole mindset was sacrifice. I give it all. I give my life. I lay it down so that all men, all people, every generation can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He went through pain himself that he might bring forth life, that souls might be born into the kingdom of God. And he's counting on his church to finish the mission. He started it, he gave us his marching orders, and he said, okay, now I'm leaving, but I'm leaving it with you. And you got a mission to do. And the church mission is about reaching the lost. It's about making disciples of every single nation. And he says, you know what? You're not alone. I'm going to go with you. I'll be with you. I'll help you every step of the way. But this is the church's assignment. It's not to come in and feel good about ourselves. It's not about me and my comfortability and my peace and safety. It's about reaching the unchurched. Those that are still outside the walls. I can't begin to cater to everybody's whim and desire about what they want in our songs and our dress and our worship and whatever else they're looking for here. We've got to be intentional and missional in reaching lost people, reaching the next generation. What are we doing to see that happen? And instead of saying, you know what, I just want peace and safety in my generation, we've got to say, Pastor, how can I get on board? How can I make room to share? How can I make room to go? How can I make room to serve? How can I make room to reach the lost? How can I make room to give? How can I give so I can reach the next generation? We've got to develop a missional mindset. It means we must become God's hands and feet to serve and to give and to share. And what does that mean? It means crossing cultural barriers. It means crossing generational barriers. It's all about crossing those barriers to reach people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my question is, are you healthy spiritually? I didn't ask you if you were saved. Are you healthy spiritually? Are you growing and are you going? Or are you stagnant in your spiritual growth? Have you become a spiritual couch potato? It's time to get up, get going, and share, and serve, and give. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.